Welcome back to the Beauty Inspires Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Bergio, and I'm super excited to bring you somebody in the industry who is going to rock your world with all of the amazing things that she does, what she's building, and has accomplished. It's stories like this that I love sharing because it really shows what's possible in this industry. A lot of times, most of us have fallen into a career of being in the beauty industry. A lot of us had passions of it growing up, but when you really see someone take the art of what we do and go to the top. Those are the kind of stories that I love. And one of the main reasons why I started this podcast is because I just want to show you guys what is truly possible if it's in you and if it's for you. So welcome to the show, Christina. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me today. I was really looking forward to it. So excited to talk to you. So Christina is the founder and CEO of Pretty Girl Makeup. I think you started in LA. Is that correct? I worked down in LA. I started actually in San Francisco Bay area. Which is where you are now, right? Yes, that is where I am now. So amazing. So can you talk to us about how you first got into the industry? That's always like my favorite question, because I think a lot of, like I said, people fall into the industry somehow, but what is the beginning of your story? You know, it's so funny. I didn't even realize like this was going to be my thing in life. I, my mom had um, terminal brain cancer when I was growing up and she was incredibly beautiful, but she lost her hair. Her skin got discolored. She just did not look like herself, nor it's so funny. Everyone is, well, my mom was an artist too. She was a photographer. And so I think that when people are so visual and they, you know, they don't look good. So then they don't feel good. It's just a weird way it is. And it's not that people are superficial. It's just a reality, right? Absolutely. So, I, my mom was going to go on a date with my dad and I just said, Oh mom, let me um, do your makeup. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I just was like, and then all of a sudden she looked like her old self and she felt so much better. And, and what's so that's the the thing that I love about my job is like doing these photo shoots and, and weddings and stuff. You know, it's like working with a team, but making someone look like the best version of themselves to me is like, so satisfying. And I, I love it. And it's definitely, I'm sure you can relate and it's, it's such a great thing. So anyway, that's how I started. I worked how, on my mom. How old were you when you first did your mom's makeup? I was probably like 12. Oh my gosh. I love it. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> it's interesting because you don't like, sometimes our upbringings really define like what it is we end up doing in life when they, when really like you don't even realize the little things that happen. Like I grew up having terribly curly, frizzy hair, hating my hair and watching my mom struggle with her hair. But my mom was also a makeup artist and like model when she was younger. And so I was sitting in the bathroom watching my mom do her makeup every single day. And like every Halloween, which we just had Halloween making me think of that, I would beg her to let me do or be something that she could put makeup on me for. So I was like this little like glam gypsy for like four years straight, just so she would draw on my face and paint a mole on my face. Oh, that's so cute. I love that. But it's weird that these moments and these memories that we have, that we had as young kids, like you don't even realize that it's there and it's so powerful in your mind. Like that is a huge thing for you. Is your mom still alive? She is. My mom's super young. So she had me when she was 19. So, you know, it's almost like we're the same age now. I'm 40 and she's That's so weird. My mom had me at, at 19 too. Oh my gosh. Right before her 20th birthday. Yes. And my dad got married super young. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful? And I grew up like just like hating my hair too and hate and struggling and her ripping me and putting these side ponytail and slicking it down like I have in my hair down now. And just, you know, I look back and I think it's no wonder that I ended up getting into this career because I struggled so much like to find, figure out how to make myself look like the best version of myself. And it's like, 
make and a- feel like the best for like it's yeah. so amazing like I think part of my job as a makeup artist I know I'm very skilled obviously at being a makeup artist but I have a gift that I can make people feel really good very quickly like they're I can make them laugh or I can listen to them and you know that's what's so important especially on these photo shoots if I'm doing tv or fashion yeah. if the model or the actor or the celebrity is not in a good way it shows on camera. It just does. Even if they're putting on a big act, like, oh, everything's great. Their eyes tell a different story. So So part of my job is definitely, I use like aromatherapy oils. I massage their hands. I, you know, I bring them tea. We just, I don't know. I try to get them in a really good headspace before they get in front of the camera. And that has been a huge part of, I think, why I've become successful as a makeup artist on how I make people feel besides obviously look good. Well, (laughs) the number one thing I talk to about in my coaching business with people in our industry as to why they're not consistent or why they can't charge what they want to charge or why their career hasn't elevated the way that they wanted it to. And it's, it's exactly what you said. You create an experience for that client. And oftentimes whoever hired you to do that person's hair or makeup, isn't the one paying you. So like a lot of times on set, when you work with people, the models aren't who hired you. So it's, it's your job, I think, as this person um, doing hair or makeup to create that environment. And it's almost like an unspoken thing that we just have to show up and be able to do. You're not just there to do the service and then- hundred percent. Well, and that's the difference between makeup, just like you said, that makeup artists that are going to be successful and ones that are not going to get hired back. I hear so often I'll go on a job and they'd had a different makeup artist and then they have me and they, they said, you know, that other person just had a negative attitude, was in a bad mood, sat by themselves, didn't participate. I mean, even now at the level I'm at, I still will go get my client, whoever it is, actor, celebrity, or whoever, a cup of tea or, you know, make massage their hand. I mean, like I go the extra mile all the time and it doesn't matter who it is, you know? And I, I think that's important. And I think, you know, attitude, if you tell yourself you're going to be successful and you tell the universe, the universe will fall in line. It's when we're wishy-washy or this great, we don't know, like, oh, I don't know what I want. Well, the universe doesn't know how to help you. So nothing's going to happen and you're stagnant. Amen. Okay. Well, we can go <laughs> on a whole different leg of this conversation. We're, we're from the same tribe, obviously. And I don't know. I wonder if it's that old school mentality where we came up because your one chance to build your career was in person. It was with that one experience of getting that job or assisting, you know, the, the, the head stylist or makeup artist on the job. It wasn't through social media. It wasn't through avenues like these. Oh God, no, that's not how we got hired back in the day. And it was reputation. It was building a brand. It was referral based and it still truly is all of those things. It is, you know, all that Instagram, all that social media stuff, it helps, but you know what? The reality is our reputation, our work ethic, maybe our being on time, having all our, you know, our kit clean and orderly and, you know, sanitary. That is why you get hired and going the extra mile. I mean, I, I was on a shoot the other day in San Francisco and I was helping the, I was working with a, it was a corporate client and I was helping them to like, okay, take a breath, like t- turn your head. Like I know how to get their face to look the best. And so the photographer is so happy that I'm, and you have to also weigh in, like not every photographer wants you to butt in and go, okay, take a breath, turn your head that way. This particular one likes me to do it. Cause he doesn't, you know, he didn't really know how. And so to get, cause a, photo- a corporate photographer is going to be very different than a photographer that is a beauty one. So, and I do so much beauty 
you know, fashion that I know which way to turn your head or your eyes or your, you know, face to make it look, you know, at another level. So, and depending on, I've experienced that too, depending on, you know, what type of photographer you're working for. Some of them are amazing. They'll jump in, they'll show moves. They'll show like when I worked for the, um, strong fitness magazine, he was so animated. He would show the girls how to pose. He would like right. get in there and like be silly and show them faces to make and where to put their hands. And it was through watching him that I learned how to do that. And so it was almost what a like, blessing that right. you learned that right without being asked. I started to step in and do that for him when we were shooting. So it was like the shoots went so much quicker. I could almost stand next to him and model like do this, try that. And it was, it was in that, that I, like, I took the initiative and responsibility. And so therefore got hired again and again. And then, you know, next thing, you know, he's, he's like, we've got girls coming to San Diego and both of them landed on a cover of the magazine. So it's like, when people ask you how you got to where you are, it's like, it's through putting your best foot forward. And I think neither of us have just mentioned as a hair and makeup artist, as anyone in this industry, if you show up on set to anything, you need to look like you could step in as one of the models. I'm sorry. I've been asked to turn around and do stuff or to fill in or test out or, or maybe you have an opportunity to, if that photographer is awesome and you guys create a bond and you need a headshot, you're like, Hey buddy, would you shoot me real quick? And like, send me a picture or I'll trade with you. Like right. relationships you can make by always showing up prepared is mind blowing. Like, well, it's also like, if I can't make myself look presentable, how am I going to make anyone else look? And, and honestly, it, it's That's true. No brainer. But you know, it's so funny, you know, I, we don't have a job where you just wake up, roll out of bed and go to work. Like I wake up, if I have a shoot day, I wake up really early because I have to be my, my vitamins, my green juice and my tea have had to have kicked in. Okay. So when I get on set, I have to be like, you know, feel good. Look, I have to feel good. It's so interesting. I have this, um, healer that I work with in Canada Ooh. and her name's Diana. She's amazing. And so what she always says is, you know, people feel I'll, I'll share her information with you. She's extraordinary. She's and clears energies, but she has always taught me, you know, you should never feel badly about taking care of yourself because you can't give an orange unless you have a basket of oranges to give. Mm. Right. And so you're a better makeup artist, stylist, business person when you're like made, you know, when you're taking, you know, you've, you're rested, you've exercised, you know, you're positive. You said your affirmations and your meditations or whatever, it really does make a difference of your life and how the world sees you. Absolutely. You guys know, I talk on here all the time about non-negotiables and boundaries and really setting that time aside for yourself. I mean, there are days where I will skip a workout if there isn't anything important or um, crazy going on that day. But if I have a talk, if I have even just a podcast like this, I made sure I got on the bike. I did 30 minutes before. That's why I have this nice slick down hair today. <laughs> it's all perfect. There are non-negotiable things that will support you in showing up as the best version of yourself. And that's exactly what she's talking about. It's like, none of this was talked about 20, 30 years ago when a lot of us started our careers. But if you're newer in the industry, this is a normal term that we hear. And I'm telling you what, if you do all of those things to support yourself, you will a have a longevity in your career. You won't experience burnt out, like burnout, like a lot of people do. Um, and, and you'll stay in the game because you'll enjoy your job. When that's, that's, I think that is the biggest thing how much I love doing what I do. I love meeting new people. I love going somewhere new. I like, you know, I like working with the team and creating, you know, beautiful things and art, you know, and I, it's so great that I get paid a lot of money when I'm doing what I love to do. It's like, oh, wow, I get to go to work and oh yeah. And then I make a lot of money today. So 
it's okay. it's the best, but it's it's baffling to me that people you know do these jobs and go to work on jobs they don't like. It makes no sense to me at all. And if you're gonna complain, do something to change it. And if you're not, I don't want to hear about it. Like totally, if, I'll, I'll listen to you and and help you to figure out a solution. But if you're gonna just sit and, and bitch that oh I hate my life, I hate my job, I hate uh, uh, I don't want to hear it. No, we ain't got room for people like that. And I, no. don't think, I don't think anybody listens to the podcast. That's one of those people. No, I mean, definitely not. Seeking <laughs> guidance. If you're proactively seeking inspiration and motivation, you hopefully are not stuck in one of those ruts of that kind of shit that she just said. Um, so talk us through, you got into the makeup industry. How you started at 12 doing your mom's makeup. Were there mentors in your life that you shadowed under or followed, or how did you fall into the career that you have now? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. It just kind of happened. I, you know, let's see what happened. I started doing friends and weddings and then I, you know, would work with a photographer. Someone asked a photographer asked me to do a shoot and I did it. And I just little by little started kind of doing this. And I, you know, I have five kids. And so it was like a perfect job for me that I had flexibility to be a mom um, and, and, and have a creative outlet. I think it's been really, you know, my kids are older now. They're probably like your age. My daughter's like my oldest, Melania is 28, Rose is 26, Nikolai's 21. And my, my twins, Ben and Bo, they're 15. You uh, ben, said I look like I'm 28. I'm 40. That, <laughs> I'll take it. It's, a, it's the filter I found on the Zoom camera. So oh, isn't that the best? <laughs> But I, I've, always, I've always told my kids, you know, my one daughter is a fashion designer, Melania. She went to Central St. Martin's in London. She's a couture designer. My daughter, Rose, went to NYU and she's a screenwriter. Nikolai's in college. He's trying to turn pro golfing. And, you know, I've told my kids always figure out what you love doing that you wouldn't care if you got paid or not, and then figure out how to make a lot of money. Yeah. Because it makes it so much better. And, you know, I'm sorry, money gives you freedom and options and things to do. You know, you get to travel, you get to have a nice home, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money, you know, um, preach. I agree that we are here for that. That is exactly why, you know, I created the six figure stylist program is to teach, you know, people in our industry about the, um, wonderful things that money can bring into your life. And that, you know, when you have a better relationship with money, you know, you take better care of the money that you do make, you know what you're spending, you know what you can spend. It's, it's not about shoving yourself on a budget, but it's like being aware that if there's a certain lifestyle that you want to live, you know, money is going to a lot of times give you that freedom to have the things that you want in your life. And it's funny when I started this course, people would come to me and say, you know, I, I'm not trying to make a ton of money or I don't want to be rich or, you know, they would almost like backpedal in the very beginning. And then we go over the list of goals or things that they want for their life. You know, the car, the nice house, the, this, that. And I said, bitch, you want to be rich then you, if you want all that stuff and you live in San Diego, and why do you have to feel bad about it? Well, that all comes from a condition, you know, we know growing up, we're conditioned to hear money doesn't grow on trees and all the other bullshit that people have lied to you. If you grew up in an environment that didn't have those sort of things, that's not normal for you. So I do feel like it's, it's more unspoken than we realize. And a lot of people play small when it comes to careers like this, rather than thinking what, what could be, it's like, you know, you assist, you get a good job, you booth rent somewhere. And that's the ceiling that you've put yourself under. You that's know? true. And I've, I, let me tell you, when I started, I did a ton of jobs and made not one penny, mm -hmm. you know, because I did testing and I wanted to, you know, build my book. And so I would work with people or, you know, I wanted to work with like a certain photographer that I knew worked a lot. I'm like, look, let me work one day for free and then they'll hire you. Yeah. You, you know, I have nothing. And even now 
I will go, if there's a project that is interesting to me, I don't care about the money. I, I, I do all those corporate jobs and all my other stuff that, you know, I make, you know, good money, but I also, it gives me the ability to have the flexibility to take a, a project that like a, that I'm excited about or want to do to work with a certain photographer or a certain model or whatever, and a stylist that we create something super cool. Those projects, I have to tell you, have turned into magazine covers that I have done. Right. Doing it for free. And you know how hard it is to get a magazine cover. It's hard. Yeah. Same. I mean, I, I think I got paid pennies to do that one shoot that day. Um, magazine covers normally don't pay. I mean, I, I've done a lot of things. I did, um, you know, Wired Magazine with Lars Ulrich. I did Condoleezza Rice for Time. Wow. I mean, a few, but it was never about the money with those. It's like, I get to be in Time Magazine with Condoleezza Rice, Ted Cruz, President Biden. I, you know, I, I've gotten to do these projects that who cares? I mean, you got paid something, but it didn't really matter because th those projects make your reputation and make your book so much more powerful that you are much more marketable and desirable when people see that you have done worked with those people. 100%. I talk about, you know, return on investments for people all the time when it comes to like a lot of times you might invest in a course or a program or um, a class and not, not, not know how you're going to, I'm putting up air quotes, get that return right. on investment. The experience and the networking that you get from putting yourself in situations like you just said, like those are priceless and those will, what those are what will excel your career faster than you could ever, you know, do the little jobs on the side. So if, if this is something that's resonating with you guys, if you guys want to get into bigger and more lucrative um, jobs, like the ones we're talking about, it's, it's saying yes to opportunities and going out and kind of finding them. So if someone is listening and they're interested in growing their career into what you've done, where do they start? Do you have, you said you have some sort of agency, right? Do you have something? Well, that you I have agents, you know, you have to, you know, to get, to get to the point where you have an agent, you really have to have a pretty big book of lifestyle, you know, different, you can't show weddings or your friends. They need to be like high level, high res images that are like, look like they could be in a magazine. Okay. So if you would go to my uh, portfolio, christinaflack.com, you'll see there's beauty, there's sports, there's lifestyle, there's fashion. There's not any, you, you can't do any weddings that just, they don't care about that. And it's very, it's a very different, you know, thing, as you know. Um, but I think it's super important. So anyway, I got my first agent. I was with Ford New York. I just walked in and I had some, I didn't have a lot of, of images, but they, the ones that I had were good enough. And they signed me and I was like, so, like over the moon. I thought I'd, I, I, I was floating. I floated home. I was so excited. And so I, but my agent was really good. Um, she was like, okay, we need to do more testing. We've got to grow your book and we have to do it fast. So she had me work with a bunch of photographers doing some testing to just expand it. And then little by little, I mean, now like I'm constantly having to look on Instagram to all the different companies I work for, Vionic, uh, Lulu's, um, Evergreen, Everlane, sorry, um, you know, Good Rider. I mean, I have all these companies. So I'm constantly, I mean, now it's like the more you work, the more you work. So now it's so great because I can constantly find new content because I, but I have to be kind of keep on it. And keep my, and I'm always sending new images to my agent so he can, you know, my, my portfolio right now that my agent has, it's 40 pages long. It's so big, but we're always adding and then removing. It just, you know, changes. So right. and I'm sure you present whatever book you want seen for that said client, right? I think, well, that's what my agents do. That's, so. for you. that's wonderful. Yeah. 
So would you say having an agent and being able to get connected with something like that really elevated and shifted your career to what it is? hundred percent. I would never have had these opportunities to work with these celebrities or Gucci or Louis Vuitton or Carolina Herrera or, you know, Neiman market. I don't know. I, I, it's so, it's so funny. I, 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 people will ask me all the time, Oh, what companies do you work for? And I forget how many that I have, you know, I've worked for CNN, Fox, Food Network, all these amazing people. Um, and then I, I, I have that, you know, on, you know, you can, anyone can make a, a portfolio online you know you can go to squarespace or whatever and then you you know you have it can be very basic and then you have your back page which would be like past clients so people can you know because people want to see they know that you're experienced i mean you know when you're an experienced makeup artist you know you you know things innately that of an unseasoned makeup artist will just won't be able to know and you have to you just need to do what is it ten thousand hours to be good at it to be yeah. good at anything. And I, you know, I, I, I believe that, you know, I'll tell you guys something. I know a lot of hairdressers listen to this, this podcast, and I'll tell you for the first, I don't even know, six years that I got into styling and doing stuff for photographers or for shoots, I said no to the makeup portion of it. And I would shop out and hire someone to do makeup for the shoots every single time, therefore having to split half the profits. And it was finally at the end of one of the shoots that I was sitting there watching her do makeup. And I'm like, I can do this. Totally. Licensed to do this. And so I paid the girl I had always hired to train me and we trained and we trained. And from there, now I, I was able to do both and be able to reap the benefits of being quicker and faster because I've been doing hair for so long. The styling part came really. And your eye is trained more than, you know, right? hundred percent. And it was just having the courage to say, you know, a, I was sick of sharing the money with somebody. Yeah, totally. And you know, you could do just as good, if not better. You know, it's funny. I am not a hairstylist. I'm, I didn't go to beauty school. I don't cut, I don't color. I know how to make hair. So when I got my agents, they said, Oh, you know, you do hair and makeup. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm a makeup artist. They're like, Oh, well, if you want to be represented by Ford, you, uh, so I had to learn to do hair. You know, I had to, like, I watched some friends and, and, and I just learned. And then funny enough, my agent called me one day and he said, you're not going to believe this. You're going to be in L magazine. There's eight pages with the tech women of like, you know, Silicon Valley. And I'm, I said, oh, yay. And he goes, no, no, no. They want you to do hair. I'm like, but do they know? I don't know how. And he's like, I know that, you know that. But so anyway, I feel like my hair, you know, skills are not that high, but then I was in L magazine, like eight pages. So you, you don't know what you're capable of doing. You know, I'm not going to turn down L cause I don't feel confident. It was like, okay, deal with it. And I did. And you know, it, every time you do a little bit more with the makeup or the hair, you're more confident. And a lot of it is just show no fear. Even if you're trembling, you never tell the client, Oh, I'm not sure. I don't like that. Or I'm going to redo it. You don't tell them anything. They don't, they don't know. They don't see. So that would be another advice I would give people. Don't, they don't need, you don't need to share every thought. You don't tell them anything. Never let them see you sweat. And, and it no. is, it's the fake it till you make it. And it's, it's really, oh, totally right until you get it right. And like, just when you think, you know, everything, or you've touched every head of hair, or you've done every face of makeup, like somebody walks in with a challenge, like it's, you're never going to feel like 1 million percent confident in anything. You just do it and you figure it out. And that is, I think what separates people who will step out into the kind of unknown and walk into a situation fully prepared with a kit for anything that comes their way. I mean, I've seen makeup artists not have kits for different skin tones and colors at weddings. And it's like, 
either you didn't properly like pre consult with them and know what you should be bringing or B, you just come over prepared always. Like, Oh, and can, you know, my makeup kit is like four feet high. It has drawers. I have to go to a shoot with every color imaginable. Yeah. I mean, and I, most of the time I don't even use 80% of what I have in there, but if they, the client wants something and I don't have it, it's big. I remember one time I was doing a shoot for a men's warehouse and it was, um, I was doing the grooming for the men and they said, Oh, after lunch, um, the guy had a beard. They're like, um, you know, make sure he's shaven after lunch. And I'm like, Oh, Oh, of course I had no lunch that day. I ran out and had to get razor and, and shaving cream because I didn't have, you know, the thing now I have the little razor thing and, you know, you just, you learn to, one time, one time. And I will never not have everything I need. I know sometimes I have way too much stuff and it breaks my back carrying it around, but God forbid that they're like, Oh, you know, I kind of want that, uh, lavender sprinkly eyeshadow. You never use it once a year, maybe, but you know, you, you need to have it. So you do need to have your, your kit needs to be super clean. It needs to be organized. Um, and it needs to be ready to go because I have had many times where I get a phone call from my agent saying, you need to be in San Francisco in an hour. Okay. I don't have time to, if, you know, I never want my brushes dirty at the end of the shoot. I'm, they're always clean and sterilized and I'm ready to run out the door because I really never know where I'm going to go or when I'm going to go. Totally. That is the best advice ever. Just always be overly prepared. So talk to us about, it seems like you've created quite like a dream life for yourself now, but you have endured so much in your life. You talked about your mom earlier when we started the podcast. I know that couldn't have been easy growing up, having your mom struggling with something so serious. And then your husband. So this is something that not a lot, I mean, people know that you for this because you fight so hard to spread awareness around what it was that um, he had to deal with. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and how that kind of rolled in and out of your life and how you've been able to overcome such a tragic thing that you went through? Okay. So um, I guess I'll go back a little bit more. So my, my last two kids of my five are twins, Ben and Bo. And on uh, Christmas day, um, when my son Bo was four and a half months old, he passed away from SIDS. So that was awful and traumatic for our family. I ended up getting divorced. My ex-husband and I are very close still. He is my family. He's my kid's dad, but we, our marriage ended, which happens with 90% of people that lose a child. Marriages fail. So anyway, after that, I, I got divorced and then I met my husband, Ken Flack, uh, he was a professional tennis player. He and his partner, Rob Seguso, were number one in the world in doubles. He was on the Davis Cup team, won every major tournament, uh, gold medal in Seoul. Um, he was just an amazing man. And he came into our life um, and he helped heal us. You know, my ex-husband and he were good friends. He adored my kids. My kids adored him. Um, and he made me laugh again and made me smile. And it was just, it was amazing. He had five kids as well. And our kids all got, a, it was like, we were the Kardashians. <laughs> we had, we had so many kids. We had like 10 kids between us. It was crazy, but you know, it was, it was a beautiful thing. And unfortunately my husband um, got bronchitis, which turned into pneumonia and he got sepsis and um, he passed away within four days of getting into the hospital. It was insane. I never thought 
I could see something like that happen to my husband. So sepsis is um, an infection of the blood. It attacks all your vital organs if you're not seen. My uh, husband wasn't seen by his doctors. I've just finished uh, a trial two weeks ago for malpractice. I'm suing Kaiser because I want there to be change in the medical system. I want people to be seen. You can't treat someone over the phone. So if my husband had been seen, he would still be alive. And it's it's so awful that this extraordinary man, husband and father is no longer here because of negligence on, on these people's part. But anyway, aside from that, my husband passed away and the Sepsis Alliance contacted me because of who Ken was and asked if I would raise awareness for sepsis because neither of us knew anything about, I'd never even heard of sepsis. Um, it's interesting. I just, I heard President Clinton just had it, Whoopi Goldworth had it. I mean, a lot of people get it and survive um, if you're seen and you get an IV, you know, antibiotic. Sepsis, if you go to sepsis.org, you can see there's a little like square thing that says time and T is for, the signs of sepsis are a little confusing and that's why people don't know. Uh, T is for temperature. You can be either hot or very cold. I is for infection. You have it in some place in your body. It could be a cut tooth or, you know, my husband had pneumonia. Um, M is for mental, you know, they're not all in their mental, they're not thinking straight. It's affecting their thought process. And E is for excruciating pain. You feel like you're dying because, because you are. And it's not one of those things, you know, how oftentimes we'll say, oh, I'll go to the doctor in the morning. You know, I know I'll feel better. Well, that's not the case with sepsis. If you have any of these symptoms, get to the emergency, demand a blood test. And, you know, within 20 minutes, they will know if you're septic. And, and it, you know, I've also learned that you really have to be your, your advocate. You have to be like, nope. If they say, oh no, you don't have sepsis. Say, I don't care. Just test me anyway. Because sometimes, you know, instinctually something's just, it's something that's not normal and right. So since my husband passed, I've been doing interviews like this to raise awareness. And then it kind of segued into speaking about grieving in a positive way. I was on the doctor channel, Sirius radio one day. It was so funny. And I'm waiting, you know, in the green room on zoom. And I hear this woman saying, Oh, we have this interesting guest. She's a mother. She's, you know, all these things, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, she's had the most tragic life. And I'm like, Ooh, I wonder who that is. And she said, and her name's Christina Flack. And I was like, Wow. So anyway, when she brought me on, she introduced me and I said, you know, I said, thank you for having me. But I said, I've got to just say something, you know, you mentioned that I have this tragic life and I'm sorry, I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. I've had, I have an extraordinary life. I've had a million miracles. Yes. I've had some doozy bumps, but I choose to look at myself as, as blessed and grateful for what I have. So I'm, you know, I'm going to disagree with you on that and now we can continue. <laughs> So powerful. Like it, and it, that's the mindset of shifting. Even from when I just started talking to you, like the, the light that you radiate, like you truly believe like what you put out in the universe, you will get back. And it's like being able totally to, do. to shift. I mean, bad shit happens to everybody, maybe at that level. No, but at different levels, like our own stuff is our own stuff. And right. like, listening, anything that you've been through big or small, whether you've lost somebody close or you've lost a pet like it, one level it's all it's all relative to how it makes you feel and how you decide to deal with things in your life like just hearing you say that gives me goosebumps and I, I just would love to Aww. hear how you've processed through 
um, these big bumps that you call them and, and how you can look at things and be so positive. Because I think for a lot of people listening, this last year and a half rocked a lot of people's world in one way or the other. And a lot of people can feel like they're grieving so many different things, so many different whatever's in their life. Like, how do you put a more positive spin on and have such a great attitude? Well, I think because having gone through what I went through, you know, with my son passing away first, I went through a very dark place for a little bit. I started taking like sleeping pills to kind of numb myself because I was in so much inner pain. And so, you know, my friends were like, okay, you're not a pill popper. Get back on the green juice, start going to yoga, like just start doing you because I have other kids. I have a business. I have like a life and I can't let that define me, you know? And I also thought, you know, if I'm a mess, what, what's going to happen to my kids? Mm-hmm. So after my, you know, that happened to my son and, and I started a garden for him. Um, you know, people are very strange about a baby dying. They don't want to talk about it. And I, you know, I felt like I wanted Bo to be remembered. And so uh, at this school in, in Mill Valley, California, Edna McGuire School, my friend Lisa Zimmer and I raised all this money. She was the principal at the time. And there's this outdoor garden that was just kind of forgotten. And so we raised all this money. It's an outdoor classroom now. There's vegetable gardens, there's fruit, there's chickens, there's all this cool stuff for these kids because nutrition and education are super important to me. And now it's called the Bo Friedman um, Outdoor Classroom. And so, and then I started a foundation at the Northern Lights School in Oakland, California, which is a private school for predominantly for, you know, minority kids that are all on scholarship. So we have the Baby Bo Fund there, um, raising, you know, raising enough money for kids to go to private school for a year, you know, for free. Um, And then now I've started the Ken Flack Educational Fund at the same school. Vida Blue, who is a professional baseball player, um, he he's on the board and he does a celebrity golf tournament every year. And my kids are all big golfers. And my husband was as well. And so they do this golf tournament to raise money for the school. So my youngest son, Ben, Bo's twin, he has gone the last four, four or five years um, and played golf. And he goes on a hole. And the first year he raised like 3000, then it was like nine and then 12. And then the last two years, he's raised 35,000 two years ago. And then a few months, last month, he raised $36,000 wow. in one day for his dad and his brother's foundation. And it's so, you know, I was, I said, Ben, I'm so proud of you. And he's like, mom, I played golf today and I miss school. Who cares? And I'm like, uh, those three kids that are going to private school for a year because of you, they care which, you know, makes a huge difference when, you know, that changes lives and it, you know, changes communities and it trickles down, changes the world. And so I've, you know, I've, I've led by example. I want my kids to see that they've all, you know, my older daughter was there, Melania with Ben this time, cause I had my trial going on and, you know, all my kids have participated in something with Northern Light School. And, you know, it's so funny. My daughter Rose had said to me after Ken died, she said, you know, mom, your lectures on uh, drugs and alcohol were really lame. Um, but the example that you set of being kind and hardworking and, you know, giving and all these things is what really impacts us. You, you know, you're, we've never seen you drunk or high. Uh, you know, we, we see all these good things that you do for the world and that makes them do these things and not just like saying, oh, you should, you know, work hard and do all that. 
I don't say that. They just see it. So I didn't even realize that how impactful, like how we conduct ourselves and how we live our lives. It is on our children, but it was, it was, they're always teaching us something beyond uh, watching us and beyond, like, I think you'll never know the impact you have on your children's childhood until they're older adults. And that's true. They then have children. It's almost like you almost reparent yourself when you're having your own children. And it like brings up all the things of like, why did my mom ever do this? Or why did my dad ever yeah. do this? Or I didn't have this example. Or only if I had had this as a child, then I could, you know, and it's, or I didn't know right from wrong or no one paid attention to me or nobody told me I could do great things or get straight A's. So yes, I think it's so important that kids, A, education, nutrition for one, you see so many children struggling with all sorts of, you know, my son has a hard time sitting still in class, period. He's a little boy. He's rambunctious. He likes to play. But we've noticed, obviously, if he doesn't, you know, have, if he's eating sugar in the morning or too many carbs, if he's not moving enough, if we don't have him in sports regularly, if there isn't yeah. talk around what's healthy and what's not, like, I didn't even know what protein, carbs, and fats were in my 20s. And my son knows exactly why he has to eat protein, exactly what good fats are for him, why he right. has celery, and why something green is always on your plate. Like, I'm not trying to torture you. I'm literally like, you want to be the world's greatest baseball player, little guy? This is what you got to do. That's totally true. And it's so interesting. I also find that like if kids see, have the experience from a young age, like kindergarten at the Ed McGuire school, you know, that they're out in the garden planting seeds and seeing their little seeds grow into lettuce and tomatoes and they get to pick it. And then what's so cool with the outdoor classroom, they cook food or they make a salad. And so if you, from a young age, are exposed to raw vegetables and growing them, I can guarantee that your rest of your life, you are gonna be way more open and, and, and eat these things as opposed to just having like pizza and hot dog and mac and cheese, like, ugh. Being aware that you're eating it because it is good for you. Therefore, have the slice of pizza, but grab some carrots with it, right? Like 100%, have a little salad with it. Like I always am like, what, what was green today? Yes. And also the movement and taking care of yourself, the mindfulness that like, I literally, my son knows I go to the gym regularly, or I have the bike here that I, I work out on. And he sees me doing that all the time. And it's like, I don't talk to him about why I'm getting on the bike. He just sees it's part of what I do. It's, it's part of the routine, part of the routine. And you can make time for anything that you want in your life. Oh my God. If I hear one person say they have no time, I'm like, look, I have a thousand children. I have how many businesses I do charity work. I'm public speaking. If I can make even, you know what, sometimes I'll even go to my yoga class. Even if I can only go 15 minutes, half an hour, I try to stay for obviously the whole hour, but even if I get there and just do something, go out on a walk, it doesn't matter how long you do your workout. I mean, even when I travel, I will do yoga in my room. And if there's a gym at the hotel, I was just in New York this week or last week uh, meeting with, with this new team of investors and, and people that I'm going to be working with. I was really lucky that I had a gym in the hotel. So, I mean, before I was going into this meeting that I had to be like on, 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 like really on, yeah. I went down there and I just like lifted weight and I ran on the treadmill and I just got myself like feeling like in, in my head, superwoman. I had to, I had to get that confidence. I had to get my head there yeah. to be able to go into this meeting and, you know, speak with these people. So it is interesting. People are much more inclined to work with you when you give off a good energy and are positive. No one wants to be around anybody and no one's going to invest in anyone that's grumpy or negative or just plain old low energy, low energy. Yeah, no one wants that. And at this place in life, like we all know how to get ourselves to a different state. And if you 
have the tools in your tool belt to be able to change your state. Like Tony Robbins talks about that kind of stuff all the time, like elevating the state so that you present whatever package it is that you want. And you want to be in the mindset of like, you know, focused on that's why I work out too. So my head is clear. There's nothing else going on in my brain when it's go, go time. Right. So yeah. Same with work. If you show up for work and you're like lethargic and you're feeling this and you stayed up too late and you had one too many glasses of wine, like you're not going to be on your A game. We all have days off. And those are the nights where you maybe I'll have two glasses of wine or stay up late or whatever the case may be. Like, it's not, I don't think we're preaching. Don't have any fun. and Don't live your best life. No, but, but you need to be, if you want to, you look, if you want to be successful, it takes discipline and sacrifice. And that's just a fact. And if you're unwilling to, you know, I have kind of rules about my uh, drinking of like, School nights, I don't drink unless, you know, I'm at an event or something, which, you know, doesn't happen that often, but, you know, or I'll have one glass if I have a dinner or something. I, I'm very disciplined. I don't ever want to, I don't enjoy drinking enough to feel, I don't feel good enough drinking to feel the next day like crap. No, it, it, it's like, it's all, I want to wake up on Saturday and go to my eight or nine fifteen yoga and, and not feel yucky all day. I mean, what a waste of a day to just be laying around wanting to eat a hamburger and a diet Coke. Cause I am hung over. Ooh. I mean, so what is it that motivates you? Cause I think some people listen to people like us and they think <laughs> them and they just are born like that. And that's not a trait. Like I think, I mean, speaking for myself, like it's a trained muscle that like oh. I, myself, I don't want to get on the bike. I don't want to have to wash my hair. I, I don't want to sweat. I don't have to do my makeup again or whatever. So yeah. like, it's just like, where does that come from you? Where does the inspiration and motivation come from? I mean, do you ever sit and think like, A, for one, you have people who are no longer able in your life to do the things that you can create every day. I use people like that I've lost in my life that they don't even have a choice today. I have a choice. And my choice is showing up for them if it's not for myself today. Like that is a lot that motivates me. So what is it that drives you or inspires you to, to, to live like this? I think success, success su succeeding you know, I want to be successful. I always want to be the best version of me. That makes me feel good. Um, I think, I think the more that you get these little wins, these little successes makes you want to do it more. And I also see that like for me to get to the next level of what I want to do in life and be, I want my children to be inspired by what I do because I want them to have those same opportunities. I want them to, you know, I want to make the world a better place. I want, you know, I, I want to feel love and be loved. And, and in order to do that, you have to give love and, you know, you can't do that if you're not feeling good. And I, you know, I'm almost, it's so funny. One of my, my friend, Diana, she always makes jokes. She goes, you know, you don't even know how to be in a bad mood. You don't need, you don't know. How, like I'm allergic to being in a bad mood. It's if I've gotten into a bad mood. I get into a bad mood every now and again, or I'm depressed or something. I'm like, okay, this just feels wrong. I, I don't like this feeling. So I'd rather, I, I know what I have to do to stay in this good place, wake up, have a bath. And I, you know, I, you know, after my husband passed and my son, like, I really realized that if I got too tired or too hungry or, you know, didn't exercise, it made everything worse. And so I also feel that like, you know, when you're going through grief, I went to a grief camp at Canyon Ranch um, in Arizona and I met this, the, the woman rabbi that was teaching the class, her name was Rabbi Sherry Hirsch. She was from LA and she had written a book called we plan and God laughs. Well, that was totally my life. Yeah. I married the love of my life. I, you know, had all these kids and my business and my agents, and I was doing all this cool stuff. And then it was like, oh my God, the world turned upside down and everything sucked. And so 
she just taught me that like, you know, things are, life is like a wave and you kind of have to learn to ride the wave. You know, it's ever, inevitably everything's going to change. Nothing stays the same. So you have to learn with, with these changes to be, to feel happy and joyful. And, you know, I am grateful that I had eight years with Ken Flack. I am so grateful. He made all our lives so much more fun. And, and I felt so loved and adored and, you know, what a blessing that is, you know, I, you don't always have that. So I'm grateful for that. I, you know, my children, I'm grateful for them. And, you know, happiness is a choice. Okay. I could choose to be foul and bitter, but I just refuse to that. I, I, I won't give up. I, I'm not, sorry, it's not happening. Wow. You know, I, I want to have love in my life. I want to feel all these great things. And in order to do that, you have to be disciplined and you have to, and you know what, grieving to me, people think that grieving, you have to stay in this dark negative thing, like, oh, or, or you didn't love the person. It, it's actually, I was on a hike one day and I would have conversations with my husband in my head and I could hear him talking to me saying like, you know, watching you in bed crying and sad is like so horrible for me to watch from up here because I can't comfort you the way I would normally. And I thought that like, oh my God, how awful would that be to look down on my kids or my friends or whoever to, that they were so just sad because of me. And so I thought, you know what, you know, doing the garden, these foundations, speaking on these podcasts um, and being positive is a much better way to honor your loved one. Being sad is not honoring them. It's, it actually makes no sense, right? I don't, I don't understand why but you think I, like, of course I love my husband. It doesn't mean I don't miss him, but being miserable isn't gonna do anything good for the world or me. No. And, and, and then I think like, if he's watching down on me, I know like when he saw me in my trial, he's like, oh man, that Russian wife of mine is going to kick your ass. Like I can just hear him. He talks to me and he's like, oh my God, she's just, you know, making, you know, he would always make jokes that I was Stalin's great, great granddaughter. <laughs> What is that I can just hear him going, oh, here she is. What does that say about you? You picked me. I always tell whatever they said. He goes, are you kidding? I love Stalin's granddaughter, you know? But, it, you know, I just think it's, it's really important to grieve in a positive way and do things for others. It makes me feel good to raise money for these kids or the garden. Or, you know, if I've met one of my best friends, Melinda, she heard me on a podcast about sepsis. And she contacted me on Facebook. I never checked my DMs, but I, this one day I did. And she said, I think my husband's septic. What do I do? And I'm like, get him to the hospital. You know, you know, demand a thing, demand a test. They didn't want to give it. She demanded it. He was septic and we saved him. So she always says that I was her angel. She and I, like, she's like my sister. Two years and like two days before my husband, like after my husband died, two years later, her husband died of sepsis. And so she called me. I was like the first person she called and we weren't even that close. And she's like, he died. And I'm like, what? Like how did this happen? But you know, she, she's, she's grateful for having had those extra two years that she wasn't going to normally have. And oh. I don't, you know, I just feel like it's super important to help others. It makes me feel good. I don't want anyone to feel what I feel yeah. or what my kids feel totally. or Ken's kids feel. It's awful. So 
That's a lot. Yeah. That's amazing. You're just truly a light. And I feel like I, we didn't get to talk about your lady who you said has helped you with a movie. Oh, Diane. I, I want to talk about that real quick because everyone on here knows I've like shifted a little bit more into the woo with like the breath work and like some of that other kind of modalities to help me process, um, you know, big changes that have happened in my life. And then also the older we get and our kids get older, it's like you, you start to pile on and carry around a lot of things that aren't yours to carry. And it's like being able to let go of things that don't serve you or people or places or whatever. It's like that often it's, we're not meant to do things alone. So having support in your life, getting guides in your life, like that's, it's key, but a lot of people don't know where to start or who to go to or what, you know, works. So um, tell us about how you found her and what she's been. So able to I found from my friend, Diana, she got uh, connected me with Diane. Um, she is in Canada. And so she's an energy worker and it's very interesting. And you mentioned stuff about how we, you know, go through life and we have more baggage and stuff. Well, if you think about it genetically, you know, our great grandfathers, great grandmothers back, you know, generation, generations, they have stuff which genetically gets in us. So it's so funny how, you know, you realize you have like family traits or family behaviors. Well, of course we do. They're handed down to us. So what Diane does is we, we FaceTime and she goes into my subconscious and she can tell me things like, you know, sometimes like I believe in all this stuff, but then even sometimes I'm even like, oh, this is crock. How does she know anything? So she, she'll say to me, oh, when did you eat all these mushrooms? And I'm like, how the hell do you know that? I had made mushroom soup the day before she goes, it's too much. It's toxic in your body. And then another time I'm like, wow. And then she said, um, you've been using a lot of cleaning products lately. What's going on? And I'm like, oh, my housekeeper didn't come. I, I had to clean the whole house. She goes, well, don't use those products anymore. Like she knows it's like crazy. Wow. So anyway, she goes in and clears different energies that we have from generations something, oh, she'll say, oh, this was from your great, great grandmother on your dad's side. And I'm just like, I'll clear it. And it goes into your kids. It clears it for them too. And so it really has helped me deal with my grief and whatever other issues that I'm sure I know I have plenty, <laughs> but, um, you know, clear these energies and it has helped me be lighter and brighter and, um, a better version of myself. So she's, I mean, I had a back pain. I mean, a shoulder pain that went down my arm. It was, I, I went to acupuncture, every doctor taking every pill to numb it, icing it till I'm like got frostbite. And I didn't think she did that sort of thing. And I just mentioned during a session, like, Oh my God, I've had this pain. It's just so bad. She goes, well, let me look into it. She said, well, you've got like an entity attached to you. Like, let me clear it. And again, I'm thinking she's so woo woo next day gone. Hasn't been since. So I put a shield up every day, a couple times a day to protect from these energies that are out there in the world and you know, they go away. It's pretty wild. So anyway, I will give you Diane's information that you can put on your uh, the show notes. Okay. Show notes. I will be happy. She's, she's extraordinary. I mean, she's really hard to get with because she does people all over the world and, and she's so amazing. She really is. Well, if there are things that you guys feel need more uh, spiritual connection like that. There are so many amazing coaches and healers and teachers out there in your local so many that are starting out that have these gifts that want people to practice on, want people to let them in like intuitives that are just trying, you know, I know I, a couple of girlfriends who they, oh, they've had this nudge where they could kind of sense and, and they've tapped into that and kind of gone down that path. And, you know, people are always looking for people to help and heal. So if you guys are looking for some of that, like see what Diane does, but then also look for your local people who um, you could help them with this and they can help you. So yeah, it's interesting. You know what? 
we all have these like inner voices or feelings and we don't trust them. And that's one thing that these, you know, women like Diane and different healers do is they give you that confidence to say, to trust your inner voice. It's there. It's not like, you know, sometimes you're like, oh God, I hear this thing in my head. I'm crazy. You're not crazy. That's your subconscious or telling you, protecting you. Right. So it's, it's really interesting, but you know, it takes years till you get to that point to trust those inner voices, you know, just try it once in a while. Like, okay. I, I know sometimes I'll be like hearing some voice tell me to do something or not do something. I'm like, okay, fine. I won't do it. And it works out. <laughs> so, totally. Sometimes, you know what? Here's an example. You know how you forget your keys or forget something in the house? Like when you're running out the door and you have to go back and you're like, oh God, this is happening to me. It's actually happening for you. Maybe you were going to get in a car accident or maybe something bad was going to happen. But that few minutes of finding your keys or oh, running back in to go to the bathroom, something like that is a blessing for you. Right. And it's just your perspective shift. Like you just said earlier, like you can choose to be pissed off that you're now two minutes late, but who knows what you avoided. you like the car accident. It's like, right. we, 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 it's, it's so much more common to focus on the what's bad about a situation versus like what you could have avoided or what's good or, you know, in- or, or it doesn't really matter if you're going to be two minutes late, even if you're 10 minutes late, you know, let the person know, obviously, and move on. You know what? Here's another thing. If, if I could give every, anyone a gift of just like, Ken used to say nothing fucking matters. And what it fucking did. I'm like, okay, what does that even mean? But you know what? Some things it, I, I don't sit there and get like, you know, something, someone cuts me off or something. I'm like, okay, what? Well, I don't get mad at them. Who cares? Like holding on to this anger is such a waste of time and energy. Like think of something good or, or do something positive. I just, I get so tired of hearing people be negative about, oh, I'm in a bad mood. I had a bad day. Well, I'm sure there was like, 50 great things that happened to you today. Why don't you think about those for a minute? Yes. And that's why I mean, I talk all day long about journaling in the morning and and gratitude practices, you know, writing down five to 10 things that you're grateful for. And sometimes you got to like search in there for them and they could seem surface. But when you get down that list of 10, generally it, it goes more than like my house, my, this, like my, it's deeper of like yesterday. I'm so grateful that this happened versus that. Like it's totally a perspective shift on the attitude that you can have. And I think that's why I so much enjoy having these conversations and doing this podcast is because it, it, everyone has a different perspective on how they deal and handle with things. And it's like, that's why you have the career that you have because you've been able to stay in this positive mindset. And, you know, I think there, I kept hearing the term toxic positivity of people saying that it's like all about the fake it till you make it or pretending things are okay when they're really not. And I mean, you're like a perfect example of that's not what that means. It's not about pretending like nothing is wrong, but it's about processing through and trying to see the light in any situation, be it as terrible as some of the things that you've gone through. Everything is a blessing. You just don't always know it today, tomorrow, next week, this year, or this lifetime. But you just have to know that there, everything is a blessing. I was on this podcast once and this woman, you know, people talk about post-traumatic shock. Mm-hmm. But there's an, always an interest. There's a, if you think about it like this, I've had post-traumatic change. Wow. So from the you know trauma that I have been through with my son, my mother, my husband, I have had incredible growth and change that I would never have had because I was never have had to do it. You know, sometimes you're forced to deal with 
you know, being alone and your kids all going away and having a money situation that's not ideal and, you know, starting back out into the world and trying to find your way as a widow at a young age and start dating and, you know, meeting someone, you know, it's all stuff that's tricky, you know, and, but it, I don't know. I try to look at it as like, you know what, how great I get to meet new people on, on my photo shoots or in, in my personal life. I meet nice new people. It's, it's definitely how you choose to look at your life. Yes. I love that. Let's leave that for everybody to process on this beautiful Friday for them, because I feel like really just going into a weekend, shifting your energy, just knowing what could be and like the possibility of what is and just if anything you've gone through in this last week or two, or even this last year with the pandemic and whatnot, how can you shift whatever is holding you back from taking the next step in your life or your business or growing into that better version of yourself? Or how can you just show up a little bit brighter tomorrow based off of what you've heard us talk about today? Like, you know, it's not about pretending to be something you're not, but it's about shifting your mindset and energy around how do you want to be out in the world? How do you want to show up? And what do you want to bring forth into the world? Um, it's generally not a shitty attitude. It's not a, woe is me, poor me. Like there's, there's a, a choice and every day we get to wake up and choose to, to live like that. So thank you so much for sharing this beautiful. Thank story. you. I have one more thing to add. And, um, during the pandemic, like everyone's like, oh, this is so awful. It's so little. I looked at it as a time, like, okay, I actually have time to do the things that I never had to do. You know, all those little beauty products that we have drawers of, I made little bags, dropped them at friends. I worked on my website. I worked on my portfolio. I got a new business part. I, I did a million things that I had no time to do. It wasn't a time to just watch Netflix and order dominoes. Right. You could do something positive if you wanted. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing people like, oh, this was so awful. You know, the, you know, the pandemic, I couldn't do it. It's like, well, you could have done something positive, do something. Well, and I think a lot of people in hindsight, like, didn't know how long something was going to last. So rather than being proactive and starting, they like waited. That's what more like I heard where people were waiting and waiting. They didn't know. I wish I would have done this during that time, or I wish I would have done that. And that's what I mean about like, you could still do that. And, and time and money is basically just for me, an excuse that I hear time and time again of why people don't invest or learn or grow um, their business or anything to do with it. Like, I don't, I don't want, I can't afford a therapist or I can't afford a healer. I can't afford, you know, Oh my God. I have told my kids, I'd rather you said fuck off than can't like, do not tell me you hate or you can't like, oh, those are like the worst words in the world to me. Like, I don't want to hear. I can't. Yeah. You're right. If you can't, you can't tell yourself you can. And guess what? You can. It's all figure outable. I tell you all the time. Like I tell everyone listening, like everything is figure outable where there's a will, there's a way. And you know, that's a good word. I don't know if that's a real word, but that's your word. Figure outable. It's actually, I, I stole it from Marie Forleo who has Marie TV. She, she is the one I stole that from. She has a book, I think called everything's figure outable. And I love that figure outable. That's a great word. I'm going to borrow that. You know, we don't have to know everything. You don't know what you don't know, but somebody else knows it. And somebody else knows how you can get to the thing or have the, whatever it's like, stay around people who you want to emulate you know, stay close to the magic of things that light you up. Like you said, try to find something you're passionate about that you don't have to call a job. Um, and at the end of the day, like it's really simple and we just make it so much more complicated than it has to be. It's honestly deciding to do it is the hardest part. It's mm -hmm. kind of like, Oh, I don't want to go to yoga at five 30 in the morning, but once I'm there, I did it. You just have to decide. And then it's done. It's done. 
The, the, and you're not sitting there wasting time going, oh, should I, should I not? Should I, should oh I? my God. And I, I got to tag whatever podcast it was. I made a whole podcast around indecision and sitting in indecision. And the fact that indecision is actually you making a decision to not make a decision. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. I agree. You're yeah. always choosing in every moment you're choosing, whether you're choosing to not make the decision or you're choosing to make the decision. And so, you know, I always talk about making decisions when you're in an emotional, stable place. Uh, based off the first, the version of you that you want to to see out into the world. If you make choices based on that low level energy of like, oh, oh what was me? You're going to make decisions that aren't for the better good of your higher self. And, and so if you can visualize where you want to be and how you want to live your life, I want to be a celebrity makeup artist. I want it this, I want that. I want the universe to, you know, bring this into my life. If you start showing up as though it's already in place, though it's already happening, before you know it, you'll be there and you won't even realize how you got there. Like you said, I don't even know how it happened. It just fell. It's because you believe that's where you were meant to be going. And so- It's therefore- so true. I mean, I, I, I cannot even stress that enough. After my husband died, I was left a mess. Everything was crazy. And now I live in this amazing penthouse and everything's fine again. And I don't even know how it happened. I really don't. But it was like, failure wasn't an option. And I'm like, no, I'm going to live- my best self, my best life. And I am. So it, I'm telling you, you can manifest it. You just have to decide what you want and just have faith and know that it will happen. Absolutely. Okay. Christina, where can people follow you if they want to keep up with your awesome life? Are you most oh my God. <laughs> it's not always awesome, but most of the time it is. Um, you can, um, you can, my Instagram is Christina Flack makeup and then pretty girl makeup, P R E T T Y G I R L M K U P. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and oh, christinaflack.com for my portfolio and pretty girl makeup to buy our products. Amazing. So if you guys are looking to put a portfolio together, if you're looking to um, expand that, see what Christina has got going on. You guys emulate people who are doing the things that you want to be doing, whether you're in hair or makeup or a skin, if there's anything you're trying to grow, look to the people who are doing the things that, like I said, you want to be doing. So thank you so much for your time. This was an awesome conversation. Oh my God. So much fun. I feel like I've known you forever. Yes. And let's do this again. I want to just keep up with your career and everything that you've got going on. Of course. I would love that. Sharing the successes of other women doing really great things, spreading the beauty inspires beauty message, which is really to be the best version of yourself. So we will see you guys on the next one. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Take care.